0: We have...
1: Hi, my name is Serena Bird. I'm known as the Joyful Frugalista. My other businesses are the Joyful Business Club and the Joyful Fashionista. I guess, how joyful can one be, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, people say you should only have one thing and you should just focus. And I'm kind of a break the rules kind of person. And my intuition told me to do this so I just did it and it is crazy it's totally crazy like it would be much better off focusing on one business but there you have it
0: so how many businesses was that was that three
1: that's three yeah
0: do you how do you split your time between those three
1: Uh, Not in a conscious way. I have been told that I should spend certain times, you know, have certain days that are allocated to do certain things, but it doesn't really work because you'll get emails about certain things. You'll get podcast guest interviews, for instance, about certain things. Sorry. Um, No, very, very (laughs) welcome. Um, You'll get all sorts of random things for certain things that aren't in your day that you're supposed to be focusing on one business. Um, And while it sounds a bit strange to have three, the core market, which is is women and predominantly women age 35 and older. Um, I don't discriminate against younger women or men, by the way. It's just that's kind of where my segment is. Yep. Um, that is still the same and there are still the same themes that come across that in terms of, um, you know, supporting and empowering women, uh, sustainability, um, building abundance, um, those types of themes that, that go across all three. So it's not as strange as it might seem.
0: Why did you choose 35 plus
1: yeah why did I choose 35 plus well actually really most of the people women in my target audience are kind of in their 40s or 50s mm. um but you know they don't really identify as being um that old I guess I myself and I'm going to be 49 this year I don't feel that <laughs> I don't mm. really feel my age defines me per se but I do think that you know there is a little bit of a difference in thinking sometimes, a generational difference um, between much younger women who are, say, at university or just finished, and then other women who've gone through life experiences such as having children. Not all women have children, of course, but some many do. And just the, the life not going to plan, I guess. Mm. So I think more women who've had the experience of having tried things, whether it's relationships or businesses or jobs, and, and, and encountering more difficulties, tend to resonate a little bit more with what I'm doing and my messaging, if that makes sense. But I certainly don't discriminate against younger women and I think it is actually really important to have intergenerational relationships.
0: Did you make that word up or is that an actual word, Frugalista?
1: Um, It is actually an actual word. It existed before me, but I've certainly given a lot more life to it.
0: How did you come up with the name Joyful Frugalista? Fruit, am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, you are indeed. You're saying it exactly right. Well, actually, my publishers came up with the name. So it was um, derived by Murdoch Books. And I, when I heard the name, I was actually literally overjoyed. I thought it was fabulous. So originally, my blog was named Ms. Frugal Ears, which was always a bit difficult to explain. It had a backstory, but it was always a bit difficult to explain. Mm. And the working title of my book was Frugal Dare to Millionaire. But the publishers really want to change it, that name. And I just loved it. And I really felt that it encapsulated so much of what I was trying to convey. And they would be like, do you mind, like, would it be okay if you changed your branding and changed your website? <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> this is fantastic.
0: Can you give me that little elevator pitch? I don't know, how do you, how do you do that? Do you do an elevator pitch for each business or do you have one that kind of covers everything?
1: Yeah, this is a great question actually, especially when I go to networking events because most people, it takes a long time for people just to get used to one business, let alone three. So I tend usually to focus on the joyful Frugalista. So usually I'll say, hi, my name is Serena. I'm also known as the joyful Frugalista. I'm really passionate about helping people save money and live a joyful life um, and to have real abundance in their lives. Mm. So i usually say something like that. Um, if I have longer, I might talk about the other two, but it tends to freak people out, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I tend to just pick one.
0: How did you actually get involved with Sebrin?
1: The Canberra Innovation Network? Mm. Well, I've known about them for a number of years and actually... About four years ago now, I applied for their Griffin Accelerator program and it was actually way before the Joyful Frugalista or Miss Frugal is. I pitched an idea for fermented foods such as soy sauce, so an Asian food brand, thinking that I might also do some vegan meat products. I'm not vegan, by the way. I just really like um, vegetarian products. <laughs> and much to my surprise, I got in. And then I was like, holy, what on earth (laughs) am I going to do here? I'm a single mum with two kids. I sort of did this, sort of putting it out to the universe, not expecting I would get in. But what I'd actually done was I had submitted two proposals and I'd been invited to pitch on that one. Um, But the second proposal was actually about developing um, my blog on personal finances and to take that forward into something more. And at the time, I think they thought I was crazy, to be honest. (laughs) It was pre-barefoot investor. Um. um, And no, in Australia was really talking about money or finances Uh, but through that process they actually paired me with a mentor who was a writer from Hong Kong so he was a very prolific writer he had his own um, digital um, media assets in Hong Kong Um, very sad of course everything that's happening in Hong Kong at the moment and that I guess is partly why he's here and through his mentorship I really lent into my writing so while I applied for something that you know was kind of wasn't something I ended up doing. It led me in a whole new direction and that's been really exciting. And then when I left work 18 months ago, I started hanging out at Sebron a lot more. They have a first Wednesday connect, which is kind of fun. So it's a networking event. And they also started during COVID having a female founders series. So under the sort of, I guess, inspiration of their chair, um, Halal, I can never pronounce her surname, but she's fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and she was really keen to to do more for women entrepreneurs. They started this, this series. And then I started co-working there about one day a week. And to be honest, I'm not always the best co-worker. Sometimes I get distracted by loads of washing and other things to do at home. Mm-hmm. But when I go there, it makes a huge difference. And then... Earlier this year, I was successful in receiving a grant through Innovation Connect, so an ICON grant, so a significant grant of $17,500 for developing the Joyful Fashionista. And last year, I also received an ACT Government Scholarship to attend an Ideas to Impact course that the Canberra Innovation Network ran.
0: Wow. What were you doing before all of this, before you started <laughs> down this road
1: What was my career? Yeah. (laughs) Well, good question. I was a Commonwealth public service. I was working in the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, um, mainly specializing in China issues. Wow. So to actually say no to all of that was actually kind of a big deal. It was was crazy, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What made you want to go out and start your own business when you had, I assume it was like a a pretty good career up until that point.
1: Look, it was, but I guess the key thing was I didn't have my own voice.
0: Mm. So,
1: and that's really it. When you're part of a bureaucracy, um, you know, you are serving, like public servants serve. You don't have your own voice and that's understandable Like because you don't want public servants routinely criticising the government (laughs) when they're told to implement things. By nature, they have to serve. That's why they're called public servants. And I had published a book, The Joyful Frugalista, and it was, was doing quite well. And I was being invited to have more and more kind of media opportunities. And that was becoming a little bit difficult to manage. Like, I mean, I didn't just go, I often do that and disregard work. Like you have to seek approvals for things to do. Mm. I was always very clear about not discussing my work in my writing. I made a very, very conscious decision to differentiate the two. I mean, I never talk about, you know, my work in, in the public service. If They're just completely separate things. And then also too, the area I was in, had become quite toxic so i mean these things can happen i think many people who've been in the workplace find this and i think as timelines become tighter and tighter and expectations grow and grow some people don't always deal with that so well and so i was kind of like well i'm writing about saving money and investing I'm really close to my financial independence goals. I'm at work, I'm unhappy and I'm stressed. And I'd always had a real interest in innovation and entrepreneurship. And I was the sort of person who at the back of my diary would always be scrawling notes about potential business models and things <laughs> I could do. So I'm like, well, you only live once, really. Like, <laughs> I mean, my late 40s, if I wait any longer, like the opportunities never going to happen again. And by this stage, Mm. I had remarried and uh, my husband's in a very stable uh, Commonwealth Public Service career. He's reaching the end of his career. He's retiring earlier than most. It's a long story. And, you know, we had very, very little debt. The home loan was nearly paid off. So it's like, well, it's time.
0: Mm. When would you say you really got introduced to this whole world of startups and, yeah, the opportunities that are out there for founders
1: uh, I think I've always been interested and I guess there was a few experiences. One was serving in Taiwan. I want to be clear here that Australia doesn't have diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but I was there in an economic and trade role. And Taiwan, for those who know, has a, a tremendously innovative ecosystem. You know, it, it's high-tech, uh, products are amazing, you know, think computers like ASUS. Asus and Acer and, um, you know, they did quite a, some interesting things in virtual reality and a few things. And it was a lot of people returning from Silicon Valley back to Taiwan because of that climate. So I was wow. really interested to see what was happening when I was there. And the government also had a strong focus on the creative innovation as well and sort of recognising what was happening there. So, you know, in my role, I was seeing a lot of what was happening and and observing that as well, and it was just really really exciting to be honest. And that that interest continued when I came back to Australia.
0: What year was it again that you uh, were accepted to the Seabrins? Um, was a Seabrins program you were accepted
1: to? <laughs> so last year, so two thousand and twenty, I was on uh, an Idea to Impact program mm. run by the Canberra Innovation Network, which is basically a lean innovation program. An introduction to different innovation methods. But I'd also been very fortunate. I'm trying to think about five years ago, I think four or five years ago, I was on a pilot Commonwealth APS government uh, program. Uh, called 21st Century, I think, run with the Australian Futures Institute, I think, somehow um, affiliated with La Trobe University. Hmm. So I was on a 12-week uh, program that was teaching basic design thinking and that was really exciting as well. Um, interesting being with a group of public servants who didn't quite know what to make of the course <laughs> but also very exciting. <laughs>
0: uh, so let's just say, what's that? Did you say five years, about five? Yeah. Five years? Yeah. Um... Through, through all of that time from your perspective what would you say like have you where's some big the biggest gaps in this kind of system that we call the Australian startup ecosystem like are there any areas that you think we could improve on
1: this is gaps for people starting out <laughs>
0: yeah from a found, from a founder's point of view
1: Uh, Yeah, look, I think this is a great question. And the thing that I'm really interested about is women and particularly women entrepreneurs and the lack of startup financing. I think the year before last, globally, I think it was only 2.7% of uh, women-led founders received funding. Last year, it, it slid to... I can't remember; it was only two point two or two point three percent. And in, when we're talking about women of color, it's even lower. It's only about zero point two percent of total startup funding goes to women of color. Now, when you can think that women often make up to three quarters of purchasing decisions it means that there's a lot of people buying things whose ideas aren't being funded in the ecosystem. So it's, I think, a huge gap and it's really unfortunate. I think I I'm, I'm, feel very proud to be part of the Canberra Innovation Network because they've made a conscious effort to reduce this gap. Mm. And in fact, uh, five of the 10 um, grantees from Innovation Connect this year were women um, and female-led founders. But that is definitely not the global norm.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, why do you think that is?
1: Look, there's many reasons for this and there's a lot of research uh, that is around that. Often women are more comfortable with a small business model. They often don't even think that they've got like a, you know, multi-billion dollar idea on their hands. So it often, you know, they're looking often for a different model to start with. Mm. And if they are looking to grow, um, they don't always know how to pitch it in the way that it sounds like the next big sexy unicorn Mm. so they're more interested about building sustainable businesses often you know to help the planet or help their communities so it doesn't sound like it's the next big um you know amazon or uber or facebook And so it doesn't grab the attention the same way. And then it's often the way they pitch too. Like uh, women tend to talk about their passion for their business and how it's going to help other people rather than the traction and the numbers. Mm. And then often when they're pitching to a group of investors, most of the investors are male. So there's that. Unconscious bias where people tend to look for to invest in who they trust, and when they're looking for that, they're looking at people who are like themselves. Mm. So they're often looking at like a younger person at themselves that they can mentor. And when women come up with these ideas and they're talking about their passion for a project, you know, something that's going to, to support often other women, like the male investors just sort of don't get where they're coming from.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, um, we'll circle back to that in a second. <laughs> But just for a change of pace, what do you what do you think as a community or as an ecosystem, we're doing really, really well at like where, where, are our, where do our strengths lie from what you've seen?
1: Well, I'm gonna speak specifically to the Canberra ecosystem because this is a place I know well, and I would say that it's highly collaborative. Um, I'm always really impressed when the networking events that I go to, how willing people are to meet up with you and follow through and to help and to guide others on the way. And I think people who are really passionate about startups and innovation, you know, they're, they're willing to do that. They're willing to find ways that they can work collaboratively with others.
0: Have you been exposed to any other kind of regional, not re- necessarily regional, but other ecosystems other than the Canberra one?
1: A little bit to the Sydney ecosystem, not a lot. I had, um, at one point, I was looking to have a business partner who was based in Sydney. Unfortunately, that partnership didn't work out, but she was based in Sydney and. Um, So it gave me a little bit of an insight. And I think it's sort of scarier in a way because it's a bigger city, bigger city, bright lights. Mm. I know we're all probably not meeting in person (laughs) as much as previously, but you know it is a little bit more daunting than say the community that I'm in that's a little bit smaller.
0: Do you have what I've just been calling an unpopular opinion? Is there something that you just wholeheartedly believe to be true as it relates to the, the you know these, these ecosystems but that no one else seems to be on the same page with you
1: about? <laughs> oh, I regularly have unpopular decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I regularly have my own decisions. Um, and I guess the big one was, you know, around competitors and then the other really big one is around finding and defining the problem. Like it seems almost to become a standard mantra that – The only way you can have a good product is that when you're solving a problem. I mean, you know, why does everything have to be defined in terms of negativity and scarcity? (laughs) Like, why can't we define it in terms of abundance, in terms of, you know, coming up with something that makes people feel good? You know, it's not necessarily solving a problem. Mm. I mean, Facebook didn't solve a problem. We didn't need it before we had it, but now we've got it. Most people use it. So or maybe it did solve a problem of communication, but we didn't perceive it to be a problem before it was around.
0: It, you know, that, there's that saying, that uh, Henry Ford, right, that um, if I asked people what they w- wanted, they would have said a faster horse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And competitors is another one too. Like I feel sometimes there's way too much time spent in the early part of a business looking at what the competitors is doing and either trying to differentiate or make yourself different. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that people – you know, steal ideas from competitors. But rather, I think at some point you just need to put blinkers on because if you're looking, particularly for women who often have really high levels of imposter syndrome, if you spend so much time looking at your competitors, you'll freak yourself out and you'll never do anything. So particularly when I was writing my book, I just went la, 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 hands over ears. I don't want to know what anyone else is writing about or doing. I'm just going to do my own thing and then I'll read their other work.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's the point. The whole thing, the reason why... You said you, I mean, I think you probably wrote your book before you left your, your public service <laughs> sector, but the reason why you left was because you wanted your own voice. And yeah. what's the point in writing something? You want to express your voice, not like reframe or reword someone else's voice.
1: Well, exactly, because otherwise it'll just be like, Someone else's voice. And let's look at the personal finance space um, as an example. I mean, there's so many writers in that genre now. And often we're saying the same thing, which is, you know, save more money, um, invest conservatively. But there's so many ways to say that. And you'll often resonate with a voice that sounds, you know, similar to your own lived experiences because there'll be something in that that really resonates for you. So, therefore, we need more diversity in the writing on those topics.
0: Just out of curiosity, I don't think I asked this question, but like why personal finance? Why are you so interested in that?
1: Yeah, great question. Well, I was always sort of on the frugal spectrum anyway Um, and I was always one of those people who would like wear op shop suits to work and not tell people and sort of look like I had more money than I did in terms of what I was spending. So I was always doing that. And my ex-husband and I, we together amassed – uh, 10 properties that we had together. But outwardly, we looked, you know, pretty normal. Like, you know, you'd wear tracksuits to the local mm. um, shopping centre on weekends. We didn't live a high life. And he actually didn't earn a lot of money. So I was the main income earner. Sadly, um, that marriage didn't go too well. And in the end, I took out a domestic violence order. In fact, two. I was awarded two. As I left and suddenly was single with two young children. Now, we had a lot of assets, but we also had a lot of debts. So if you can imagine how scary it might be separating, knowing you were the main income earner, having the highest childcare rates in Australia that you had to pay for yourself, Mm. plus service 10 mortgages. Like, it's pretty scary stuff. But I knew that I could do all of that because I had the faith that I was good with money. And I knew that we could make sacrifices and I could make really cheap meals and we would find a way through. And we did. But it also occurred to me that for a lot of people, they didn't have that confidence with their money, Um, particularly women. Like, particularly women get themselves into relationships or jobs that really don't serve them because they really are scared of the money. Um, I mean, it's often real issues as well, but it's often the fear of the money. So my message has always been about financial resilience. It's not just amassing a lot of money. It's being able to feel confident that you will adjust to whatever life throws at you and to have that mindset of abundance. And, um, you know, I couldn't have have predicted the pandemic (laughs) and the bushfires and the mouse plague and everything else, but I guess... I try and write about practical things rather than saying, oh, that's too bad, that's really hard to say, okay, yes, but how can we cook a meal that's gonna be really cheap? How can you save money on, on your electricity and other things? How can you find things?
0: I only have one or two more questions. This one I like to ask everybody. If a brand new founder came to you tomorrow, what one thing would you tell them? Or if you were to give yourself advice five years ago, what would you say that would slightly increase the chances of success?
1: i actually probably ask them a question. I'd ask them why. I mean, I have new founders coming to me all the time through the Joyful Business Club um, and I'm writing at the moment about how to start a startup. But, I mean, it's your why that's going to carry you through, Mm. not because you think you should be in in business or you should have a startup. It's deep down inside everyone has a why. Mm-hmm.
0: The last question I have is not really a question per se. It's a, uh, I just want to open the floor up to you to talk about something that you just are really passionate about, something that you think the Australian startup community needs to hear. And so, something that needs to go into this series
1: oh, I'm so passionate about so many things. I don't even quite know where to start. But I think, you know, while the startup community is trying to be out of the box, sometimes they do create their own boxes. We're always looking for the next best thing of a business model that already is and we're often looking for tech because we know that tech has performed well or we're looking for clean energy because we know clean energy is performing well or we look for you know existing models so I think it's really important to be open-minded about those things that you don't quite understand or quite you know foresee and don't just dismiss them because they haven't been proven yet and just to keep that positivity because if you're talking to someone and they've got this idea and then you sort of a bit disparaging like it can kill this next best amazing thing like it might just be totally utterly bonkers you never know Mm. but it might be the next best amazing thing you've never heard of
0: I actually just thought of one more question fabulous we might have covered it near the beginning but because you've been because Seabren you've been involved with those guys and they've been helpful uh -hmm. how have they been helpful how how helpful have they been
1: well, they've been helpful with money <laughs> but more than that they're just so friendly like it's just such a welcoming space they really wanted me to co-work there because they have a particular gender issue where they have a lot of guys who work on tech and sit there and do coding all that all day mm. and they really wanted to have a conscious effort to um, close that gender gap a little bit but i just find them just really just really friendly and open-minded and especially when you're doing something that's a little bit different it's on the comprehension of your immediate family or your friends, um, your former work colleagues. And it's just nice to be in a su- supportive environment where they just don't think you're weird.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I get that.
1: <laughs> I thought you might.
0: <laughs> uh, thanks, Serena. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.